0: I mean, the Bible study this year, okay? Um, we got into leader's group today, and the first thing we heard was colored pencils. And I'm going to tell you, some of our group really likes the colored pencils, and others were going, I didn't get the colored pencils, Okay, Here's the thing. Every week, something's going to be different in Bible study. You are going to like certain aspects of Bible study this year, and you are going to hate other aspects of Bible study this year. We all learn in different ways. If you come across something you don't like, don't worry about it. Just turn the page or go to next week, okay? The issue is that we're trying to give you lots of different ways that people have found that they study the Bible and that they learn. The whole issue at the end of the day is not right answers. Okay, The issue at the end of the day is how God is speaking to you and how you're getting a larger picture of who God is and how you're able to see God in a new way. Okay? Um, that's really what this study is all about. Okay? Because at the end of the day, what we really want um, is for all of us to be able to trust God Better. So um, let's open up with a word of prayer. Lord, as we go to your word, may you speak to us. Lord, as we gather this day, we we recognize that it's a day that in our country will always have significance. Lord, We ask that you continue to be with people who lost so much so many years ago. But Lord, we also ask that out of the ashes that we would keep our gaze on you, that we would be your people, that we would trust you, that no matter what happens, whether it be buildings coming down or children who can't take care of themselves or spouses with dementia, that at the end of the day, Lord, we know that you are traveling this path with us, that we are not alone, that you are our shepherd, and that we can trust you. So come now and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, One of the reasons, um, one of the things I I mentioned to the, the leaders group this morning, one of the things I really love about Scripture is that, Scripture is this book that is actually a culmination of writings that, I don't know, 50, 100 people wrote over 2,000 years. And they're writings that, for whatever reason, people sensed that God was speaking through them. Some of those writings came from people with definite authority, people like Moses and, and like Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and, and Paul, um, and, and even David. Okay. Um, some of those writings came from people that people understood were speaking for God like the prophets. Right. But these writings were kind of passed around and told around campfires and and eventually brought together into what we call the Old Testament, and then years later into the New Testament. And what I find absolutely fascinating is that as we take all these writings and compile them together, they become this book that every time I open up, kind of the, the Holy Spirit, the breath of God kind of breathes through and speaks through into my life in whatever situation I'm in. Um, this is a book that 2,000 years ago people were reading in the midst of the Roman Empire and hearing God speak or in the middle of the Middle Ages or in the middle of the Reformation or at the Renaissance or during World War One, or the Depression or World War Two, or in the 21st century. Okay. Every age, whether or not one is in in Kenya or in India or China or the United States, whatever our situation is, whether or not we're poor or rich or anything in between, slave or free, we can open up this book and it's like it's speaking directly to us. Okay. This psalm that we've spent so much time in this week um, is a little bit like that okay um, depending upon where you're coming from you're going to read different things into this psalm um, it talks about in a sense that the first half of it about god's provision okay the thing God wants to do and give to us and, and as you might read that psalm as as, di- as the Israelites read that psalm. Their, their minds would go back to the Exodus, you know, and remember the provision of God as they went through the wilderness where God took them to through the Red Sea and then gave them manna every morning and water from rocks where there was this cloud that guided them by the day and a fiery pillar by night and how their clothes never wore out. And their minds would go to this God who'd shown up and walked with them and led them and guided them. And the second half of the psalm deals with God's protection. Um, One of the things I think about as David writes this psalm is I I was reminded about how how Samuel went to David at one point and said, "Um, David... God has anointed you king over Israel. Now, if I were David, I would have been looking at Samuel saying, "Um, excuse me, Samuel, I don't know if you noticed, but there's another king already over Israel, and his name is Saul. And Samuel's going, yes, but God isn't going to work through Saul anymore. God's going to start working through you. And next thing we know, we find David in Saul's court singing songs to Saul, leading Saul's army, all the while in the back of his head knowing, God's anointed me king instead of you. Now, I don't know how you would have been in that situation. I probably would have started telling Saul and everybody around Saul that I'm in charge now, okay, Um, that God's anointed me, that God's not in you, and especially when things started getting bad, I would have been really tempted to start taking things into my own hands. But David didn't do that. And even when Saul's jealousy turned against David and he started trying to kill David, David didn't take things into his own hands. Even when Saul is going out trying to kill David and he walks into a cave where David's hiding. And all the David's men are going, God's given you Saul. He's brought you right into your midst. David's going, He's the Lord's anointed. I'm not touching him. I'm going to let God deal with Saul in God's timing. You know the story. He kind of cuts off a little bit of his robe. And when Saul leaves, he kind of waves it at Saul saying, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Ha-ha. You know, God protected David from the Philistines, from Saul. He protected David from his own family, later on when his own son Tried to take over the kingdom from him. But rather than taking matters into his own hands, David relied on God for his protection. And so when David writes about his enemies, David had known that personally. So it's a psalm about God's provision and his protection. And and you might be in that place right now where you need provision or you need protection. One of my other authors, though, basically said, you know, really, the psalm describes the life that we're meant to enjoy. The life that we're meant to enjoy. You see, I don't know about you, but maybe especially because I'm single. Um, Buck stops with me. Okay, I can't blame anything on my husband or on my kids. Buck stops here. And so most of my time, I try and be pretty independent and pretty self-sufficient. And what this psalm says... Is Betsy, the buck doesn't stop with you. In fact, Betsy, if the truth be told, you can't do anything. <laughs> you need a shepherd. You're a sheep. Okay? Um, that's not real flattering. Okay. I mean, they're kind of cute. People like them. They're cuddly. Um, but sheep, are stupid, okay, they are defenseless, I mean, you heard what, what Stephanie said, you know, I mean, they get bugs up their nostrils, and all they can do is beat their heads against the wall until they die, okay, um, they, they are the one of the few animals that are not able to protect themselves, you know, all they can do is run, and they don't even know where they're running to, and they can't even run very fast, Sheep aren't out there by themselves. Sheep need shepherds. And it's the shepherd's job to take care of the sheep. It's the shepherd's job to make sure that the sheep have places where they can get food and drink. It's the shepherd's job to make sure that the sheep doesn't get lost. And so what David is basically saying is, let me tell you who my shepherd is. In fact, a little bit later on down here, it gets down and it talks about, you know, he guides me through paths of righteousness for his namesake. Um, you know, some shepherds were really good. And they had reputations in town for being really good. Other shepherds weren't so good. And they had reputations in town for not being so good. So, in a sense, when it says, for my name's sake, what, what really is kind of being put out there is, you know, God's going, hey, I, my reputation's on the line. My reputation as a shepherd is on the line. Okay. And David's going, my shepherd is none other than the omnipotent, all-powerful creator of the universe. And it's fascinating, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Martin Luther said that pronouns are important. Okay. He's not massive people shepherds. He's my shepherd. In fact, a couple of times in, in, as I was reading and studying this week, um, I heard this story, and I heard it from two different contexts, so I'm not really too sure it's true, but somebody heard it, and it but it works well, of, of teaching somebody, that first verse, by using our hands, the Lord is my ring finger shepherd, you know, and the story was told that people were taught that and 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 lo and behold, they would find the people being taught just clutching on to their finger. The Lord is my, God wants to be your shepherd okay and the reality gets to be um, that you can't do anything about anything it's all because God is your shepherd and and he's the one who does everything for you okay and because the lord is my shepherd i can trust him to give me everything i need he makes me lie down in green pastures. Sheep don't often lie down until they're full. Okay? Sheep don't lie down until they're totally at peace. You know, even a barking dog will cause a sheep to kind of all of a sudden panic and go running. And so this picture of sheep lying down is this picture of this ultimate protection and peace and provision that the shepherd gives He leads me behind quiet waters. Over and over again, what I heard is an emphasis on he leads me. Not that he drives me. Okay? God's not driving us anyplace. He's wanting to lead us gently to those places where we can get water. I mean, sheep, if they try and get water out of a stream that's moving too fast, are going to drown in the water. But he literally makes provision so I can get the water in a way that I can have my thirst completely fulfilled and I can lie down. He guides me along the right paths. And it's probably a better translation than paths of righteousness because when I go to righteousness I think of all the moral stuff that I'm supposed to do but the right paths really creates this picture that there are so many different paths that a sheep could go as he's out wandering the fields and the problem about a sheep is they don't know which path to take and they literally could start going down a path that literally goes off a cliff and they're dependent upon the shepherd to guide them into the right path so they don't fall off a ship or they don't end up into a dead end You know, we we go through life putting one foot in front of the other, and we don't know where life is going to end or what's going to be thrown at us or what's just around the next curve. And we need somebody who is over it all giving us direction. And no matter how hard we try, we're not going to get an idea of what's going on globally in God's ways of doing things. But God's saying, I will guide you down the paths that will keep you from going off cliffs. That will keep you from getting into dead ends. That's what I want to do for you. Will you let me? Will you trust me? And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That's where we get into this funeral step, and one of the dark valleys is obviously the valley of death. But the other thing that came up over and over again as I was studying was that as a shepherd is driving, or driving, leading their sheep to where they need to go, sometimes the only way to go someplace, especially in the Middle East some places, is through narrow canyons that often are dark... Um, Kenneth Bailey talks about that if you've ever been to Petra in Jordan, which I haven't, I'd love to do someday, but I haven't, you, go through, you have to go through this narrow canyon in order to get into Petra, which is the city that's set in a rock you've seen, some of you maybe have seen pictures of. But it's a canyon that is susceptible to flash floods. And he said that the d- day right before he went in to see Petra, a couple days before, that. Some tourists had actually been caught in a flash flood and drowned. Okay. Sometimes we go through dark valleys of life, and there's no other way but to go through that valley. But we need a shepherd to guide us through that valley and to walk with us through that valley, knowing that we will get to the other side, whether it be ultimately the other side through death or just the other side of whatever darkness we're going through. As I was studying the psalm and, and, and studying Proverbs passage that, that you read on the first day and reading about how rather than leaning on my own understandings, you know, that we need to trust in God and submit to him. And the reason is, is because God gets what we don't get. And God knows where He's going, and He's taking us with Him. I mean, and, and as I was reading, the illustration that kept coming up was the illustration of Job. And it talked about how it talked about Job's faith. So, you know, Job started out with this this faith that basically was kind of a, you know, if I do things right, then God will bless me. And that's where we start in the book of Job. Job's doing everything that's right, you know, and God's blessing. And it's because God likes to bless. Well, Dallas Willard says, but God knows, or that Satan knows that God likes to bless people and so sometimes when we have everything's mixed up, he'll take our mixed up ideas of God and twist them in order to get us to doubt God. And that's what happens with Job. Job thinks if he does things right, God's going to bless him. So all of a sudden everything goes away. And now Job's faith goes from this faith that goes, if I do this, then God will do this. Job's faith now moves from an if-then to a desperate clinging on to God, where he cries out to God, I want to see you, I want to talk to you, I want to have it out with you, and he just holds on to God until God finally shows up. And when God finally shows up, Joe gets a picture of God That enables him to trust no matter what's going on in his life. He gets a picture of the sufficiency of God. Much like David had a picture of the sufficiency of God when he was out as a shepherd. Dallas Willard writes this When you're betrayed, abandoned, lied about, and scandalized, when you're sick of a fatal disease, when your finances are going down the drain, When you see your loved one walk through the doorway, that's the moment to trust. And it's in trusting that you know God. Your point of desperation will likely not involve being sawed in two or wandering destitute in sheepskins, like Hebrews 11 talks about, but it might. Regardless, when you have nowhere else to turn except to God and you turn to him, your faith of desperation will meet the fullness of God, and you will taste the life without lack as you discover the depth of faith sufficiency. We need to live through times like Job. We need to become desperate like Job. We need to, like Job, say to God, come to that point where we say to God, I've heard about you, but now I've seen you. It was the undeniable experience of God that changed his life. His vision of God was so great that he now realized that no matter what happened, it didn't matter. It was at that point that Job repents and says, who am I? It was at that point that he stopped trying to get God to make everything right. Having seen God, he let go of the desperation he saw. And he let go of desperation, and he saw that whatever needed to be taken care of would be taken care of. God, Job saw the greatness of God in that vision. God gave Job a vision. He found the sufficiency of God. And he was able to trust God. Even though I walked through the valley Cling on to God. I'll fear no evil. And this is where it gets personal because you are with me. God is with you. You belong to Him. Your rod—it's kind of this short stick that a shepherd carries to beat animals with. Beat—it's it, his weapon, a protection. It's like his gun. And your staff, staff, that long curved instrument that is there to kind of pull the sheep back in gently or to pull up a sheep that's fallen off a cliff. Your rod and your staff, because I know those tools you have are there for me. They comfort me. And then there's kind of this this twist of, in, 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 uh, not so much talking about the, the shepherd image, but but now kind of a personal image. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Um, Keith Bailey, in talking about that phrase, um, talks about the prodigal son. He says a couple things. Um, one he says is that um, it doesn't say he sets a table for me. Uh, because in the Middle East, you don't really set tables. People kind of gather around food and you kind of pull up and dip and, you know, so he prepares the food. But in the Middle East, it's the father's job to provide the means for the food, but it's the woman's job to actually prepare the food. And so in a sense, you have the the female side of God, that nurturing side of God, that preparation side of God, preparing what needs to be prepared, a lavish meal. And he says, in the presence of my enemies, and, and Kenneth Bailey goes to the prodigal son story to explain it this way. He says, you know, when the prodigal son leaves the father, takes his wealth and goes away to the land and squanders it all, and then he returns home, the son would have been seen in the community as a disgrace. And so the minute he would have stepped foot into the community, everybody would have been screaming and yelling at him and calling him name and throwing stones at him because he was a disgrace to the father and to the community. And so when the father runs to meet the son and throws his arm around him and puts a ring on his finger, it's, it's as if the father is going, you guys might want to call him names, but I call him my son. And he prepares a table for him, not because the son deserves the table, but because of his love for the son. And so in the presence of all these people who don't like the son, he says, he's my son. He's the one I love. Okay? He's the one I am restoring to life. It's kind of like Jesus eating with the sinners. So all those people who want to throw things at you and tell you how horrible you're at, God is basically saying, I'm, gonna, I'm preparing a feast for you. And I'm anointing your head of oil which is that healing oil. It's that comforting oil. It's that refreshing oil that Stephanie talked about. It's the oil of the Holy Spirit. It's also an oil that was used as a perfume for when guests gathered around the table that a host would pour upon his guests in lavishness, a lavish, expensive perfume My cup overflows. It's kind of that context of sitting around a table and every time you take a sip, there's somebody there to pour more into your glass. My cup is overflowing. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. All the days of my life, all the days of God's life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Whether it be his creation, his presence, or in his temple. It's a picture of how God wants us to live every day of our lives. It's a picture of who God is and how we can trust God. The problem is that all too often we have a difficult time with trust. C.S. Lewis. Actually, let me read you. Two quotes real fast. Um, One again by Kenneth Bailey on this aspect, I shall not want, carries special nuances in our capitalistic society. Our entire economic system is built on creating and then satisfying as many perceived wants as possible. Television advertising is deliberately fashioned to catch the viewer's attention to create a sense of, I must have this medication medication or this electronic gadget in order to be healthy, entertained, happy, successful. The goal appears to be create wants and then turn them into felt needs. If we can do enough of this, we will all become richer and live happily ever after. The psalmist has a very basic set of wants that the shepherd provides for his sheep. The list includes food, drink, tranquility, rescue when lost, freedom from the fear of evil and death, and a sense of being surrounded by the grace of the Lord and a permanent dwelling place in the house of God. An ever-rising mountain of material possessions is not on the list. There's no hint of any need for power or control. An externally generated set of compulsive desires and the need to be constantly entertained are also absent. The sheep knows that only with the shepherd's help can they secure the above Listed list of basic needs. Tim Keller writes this. Getting wisdom is to go down a path. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens one step at a time. Allowing God to be your shepherd is going down a path one step at a time of learning to keep your eyes fixed on God so that you see God And his sufficiency, and trust him. And it's when you know that he can be trusted that you can live. Going down the path of wisdom means you adopt certain practices, certain daily disciplines. You're going to do over and over again, and eventually it makes you wise. Wisdom in the Bible is a pathway, not a door. The Bible never says wisdom. Let's see. The um, the reason this is so important is because of where we are as a culture. This critiques our culture. C.S. Lewis in his book The Avolution of Man wrote this many years ago, though it's very up to date. To paraphrase, he says, for the sages of old, the cardinal problem had always been how do I conform my soul to reality? And the solution has been wisdom. Do you understand that? He says that for ancient people, wisdom was the answer to the cardinal problem of life, which is here in the world, I need to see how it works and then live In accordance with it." In other words, the cardinal problem is, how do I conform my soul to reality? And the answer is wisdom. He says, however, for magic and today's silence alike, the cardinal problem has been, how do I subdue reality to the wishes of my soul? The solution is technique. Do you see these two different approaches to life? He says, as sages say, the cardinal problem is, how do I conform my soul to reality? And the problem's solutions becoming wise. Magic in ancient times and science today says, How do I change reality to fit the desires of my soul? And the answer is technique. Here's the question. Am I trying to change reality? Or am I learning to live in reality? David gives us a picture of reality. And how to live in reality. By allowing God to be your shepherd, by recognizing that I am but a sheep, by receiving all from him in trust, because he can be trusted. Am I doing that, or am I looking for the latest technique to try and conform reality to what I want it to be. Could I have that slide? Tim Peck, a couple weeks ago, said, worship quickens our consciousness to God's holiness, feeds our minds with God's truth, purges our imagination with God's love and beauty, opens our heart to God's love, and devotes our will to God's purposes. Worship is ascribing worth to something. We all ascribe worth to something. We all go to something where we think that will make us happy, where we'll find security. And what David is saying is, is I found it in God as my shepherd. What I think about tells me what I worship. What I think about controls my life. Worship directs my thoughts to God and his supremacy and his provision and his protection. What are the things that you need to do to keep a picture of God to hold on to God that you might allow him to be your shepherd that you might go through life trusting him two days ago I was reading Oswald Chambers and he read this he wrote this we have a tendency to forget that a person is not only committed to Jesus for salvation but also committed, responsible and accountable to Jesus to Jesus's view of God, the world and of sin and of the devil. This person this means that each person must recognize the responsibility to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By worship by keeping your mind so fixed on Jesus and his sufficiency that you're able to trust him because he's trustable. Nothing else in this world is. Let me close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you have said Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We are thankful for the ease with which you walked upon the earth, the generosity and kindness you showed to the people, the devotion with which you cared for those who were out of the way and in trouble, the extent to which you even loved your enemies and laid down your life for them. We are so thankful to believe that this life, that this is a life for us, a life without lack, a life of sufficiency. It is so clear in you that the sufficiency of your Father and the fullness of life that was poured through you. And we are so thankful that you have promised that same love, that same life, that same joy, that same power for us. Lord, slip up on us today. Get past our defenses, our worries, our concerns. Gently open our souls and speak your word into them. We believe you want to do this. We wait for you to do it in your name. Amen. One final thing to leave you with. Um, Sheep often get lost, and when they do, they can't find their way back home. And the only way they can ever be found is if the shepherd goes and finds them. But when the shepherd goes and finds them, they are so traumatized and fearful that the shepherd has to literally pick them up and carry them home. The first century paintings of Jesus are all about a shepherd Carrying us home. Middle Ages is about him dying on a cross, it's about him being a baby. I think we need to go back to that shepherd who has sought us out and picks us up and carries us home. Have a good morning.